0: Well, good morning, Restoration Church. It's so good to be here today. Um, today, we're going to be looking at a book that typically isn't used on a Sunday sermon. Um, I have a feeling many of you probably haven't even heard a sermon in the last year or so from this book. So I'm excited about it. Um, it's something that's been challenging and helpful for me, and I hope it's the same for you. So today, we'll be opening up in the book of Hosea, near the back half of the Old Testament. and We'll be starting with uh, chapter 4, and we'll be starting with verse 1, if you want to turn there with me today. This is what it says Listen to the word of the Lord, you sons of Israel, because the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. For there is no faithfulness, nor loyalty, nor knowledge of God in the land. There is oath taking, denial, murder, stealing, and adultery. They employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore, the land mourns, and everyone who lives in it languishes along with the animals of the field and the birds of the sky, and even the fish of the sea disappear. Yet let no one find fault, and let no one rebuke, for you, your people, are like those who contend with a priest. So you will stumble by day, and the prophet also will stumble with you by night. And I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Since you've rejected knowledge, I also will reject you for being my priest. Since you've forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children." This is the word of the Lord, and we say thanks be to God. Well, aren't you glad you came to church this morning? That's some real encouraging words I just gave you, isn't it? I promise we'll get somewhere eventually, but I want these words just to sit with you this morning as we move along. I pray that they would start to challenge you as we move along to start seeing what the character of God might be as we move. Remember these words as we move along today. So a while back, with all of it, I went on a trip for the school. And as a part of that trip, I had to stay the night at a host home. And these were some of the most amazing people I've ever met. Great opportunity. They had these four little girls, ages 10 months to 11 years old. Great time. Loved getting to know them. And so we sit down. The first thing we do, we go to their house, and we sit down to have some dinner with them. And as I'm sitting down, these girls tell me, first thing right off the bat, we made homemade brownies for you. I said, all right. Now, those of you who don't know me, brownies are one of my favorite desserts. They're in my top three personal favorite desserts, so I'm kind of excited when they tell me this. Um, so I'm eyeing these homemade brownies the whole time we're eating. And when we finish up eating, the girls inform me that they want me to have the first bite. I said, all right, this is going to be amazing. And then as any good elementary-aged girl they really sold me that these were the best brownies I was ever going to have in my life. They were very good sales pitchers. And I bought into every word they said. Um, so they give, me my, they give me my brownie. I'm like, oh man, this is going to be amazing. Great start to the weekend. I bite into my first bite. And I quickly realize I need to become the best actor in the world. Because those were the worst brownies I've ever had in my life. So I'm eating there. And quickly after my first bite, the girls get their brownies and start eating. And I watched this one girl in particular, and uh, she was the most excited about these brownies. And I watched her face as she starts chewing, and quickly her face starts showing the expressions I'm very deeply trying to hide. I said, oh, thank goodness. (laughs) But she finishes her brownie very quickly, like put it down, and I'm I'm thinking, what is she going to say? And she looks at me very intently, and without, she doesn't ask me if it was good or not. The only thing she tells me is, I made those. I said, yeah, you did. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but yet, she still even looked at me and goes, I made those by myself. I said, well, that was awesome. But that actually stuck with me. The fact that these were the worst brownies, and she knew it. But yet, she still had some pride in these brownies. When we look at these pa- our passage from Hosea, we come into contact with God, who seems extremely frustrated with the Israelites. Hosea is a book that, at first glance, might lead to a lot more questions if we do not appropriately look, look at the figure of our context that we're looking at today. However, with some context, I think Hosea ends up painting this beautiful picture of the relationship we have as humanity with our God. So today we're going to jump in to what is causing this frustration, and what beautiful picture are we going to paint today that reveals a little bit more into God's character for us today. So in this book, God uses Hosea to tell the people of Israel the pains they are causing God. Doesn't that sound like an incredible job? Tell everybody they're doing everything wrong. That sounds great. And God gives Hosea the task that allows him, a task that allows him to understand the pains of God even more to a new level that Hosea may never have had before. In chapter 4, God starts laying out to Israel everything they have done that has gone against the covenant relationship they have between as people and God. The people of Israel have been putting their faith in God's that they have made. They're deceiving each other. They're murdering. They're stealing. There's adultery going on. But God lays out in verse 1, there's three main qualities that are lacking from all of these things. And God says, The Lord God has a case against the inhabitants of the land because there is no faithfulness, there's no loyalty, and there is no knowledge i God in the land. Because Israel is lacking in these three qualities, this leads to God explaining all of the covenants that Israel's broken. And then this leads to this frustration we see that we just read from God in chapter 4. Since you have rejected me, God says, I have forgotten you, and I will reject and forget you. I'd like to look at this theme that plays out in the book of Hosea, um, which is the theme of the Israelites being children and God being their parent. Now, don't worry, parents. I'm not going to give parenting advice today. Not my place. But I'd like you to follow along with me today as we start exploring this theme together. As God as parent and the Israelites, us as his children. Parents, how many of you have ever given your kids some ground rules, whether it be out in public or while at your house? I'm pretty sure most parents have probably done that before at some point in your life. Now, how many of you have ever had your kid proceed, right after you said that, to go do everything that seems opposite of what you just said? Um, this might strike a little chord with you guys. In that moment, parents, I'm assuming from first-hand experience as the kid that did the opposite of everything my parents said to me, you're more than likely probably a little frustrated, and there's probably going to be a punishment coming your way, or at least you're going to lecture your kids about why they should listen to you. And, um, to those of you who might not be parents, you might be able to relate in the fact that you were on the receiving side of this wrath you thought you, your parents had on you. So I'd like to just get back to the God. Through the whole Old Testament, we continually see God try to lay out some ground rules that will ensure a strong and healthy relationship between God and the Israelites. But without fail, the Israelites decide to do things their own way, and they break this covenant relationship between God and the Israelites. And God sometimes, to help get the Israelites' attention, has to lay out his frustrations. And sometimes there are consequences between God and the Israelites. This is where we get that frustration. Now we're going to take a timeout real quick in this sermon. There are times when we read about the anger of God and for people, and it seems to provoke these encouraging things that don't just seem— that just don't make sense. They don't seem right. And this is when it's important for us to do this special word called, we call, harmeneutics, or just simply the study of the Bible. It's important to try to figure out, is the Bible actually just using an analogy— or is this just something we need to do more better research on the time period that we are in in the story? Or something along those lines. Because when we, we don't do the proper harmonics, don't take the time to study what's going on and do uh, this wrath that we might think is happening. So when we, try to, we start seeing people try to justify these inhumane acts because they didn't take the time to truly understand what was being said um, in the passage. So we're going to time back in now. And we're going to go back to this idea of God and being a parent. We see God's heart continues to be broken by the Israelites. And here in Hosea, it seems like God has just lost about all hope. However, it doesn't end there. God doesn't end with throwing in the towel. If you'd like to turn with me, we're going to now look at chapter 11. We'll start with verse 1 of Hosea. It reads, When Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. The more they called them, the more they went away from them. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and turning incense to idols. Yet it is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I pulled them along with cords of a man with ropes of love. And I became to them as one who lifts the yoke of their jaws. And I bent down and fed them. They will not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria. He will be their king because they refused to return to me. And the sword will whirl against their cities and will destroy their oracle priests and consume them because of their counsels. So my people are determined to turn from me. Though they call them to the one on high, none at all exalts him. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I make you like Admah? How can I treat you like Zeboam? My heart is turned over within me, all my compassions are kindled. I will not carry out my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again, for I am God, not man, the Holy One, in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. They will walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. Indeed, he will roar. And his sons will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt, and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will settle them in their houses, declares the Lord. Here we see the character of God starting to be played out. God lays out all these feelings that Israel has provoked within him. And then yet, God's love overcomes all of these frustrations that we start seeing. God is still clearly frustrated with the Israelites in the middle of them just wanting to having no knowledge of God. It says in verse 6, God tells us, I am not human, however, but I am God. God won't let these feelings of frustration and anguish be overcome within him because there's something more that God wants to show the Israelites. Yet, there is mercy. God is overcome by the fact that God is so in love with his children. We see a dramatic shift in verse 8, where God states, How can I give you up, O Israel? These are God's children. And despite the Israelites continuing to break God's heart, God's still overcome by the love one has for their child. And God shows mercy to the Israelites. Even though Israel continues to break God's covenant, God is sitting there with wide open arms, saying, I love you. And God is ready to welcome Israel back into this covenant relationship he has with them. Even though the people still haven't figured out how much God loves them, God is waiting for the day the Israelites decide to love God back. God has all the right to punish and just throw in the towel on the Israelites. They've completely gone away from him. It seems like there's just no hope, but yet God is overcome by mercy over all else. And doesn't just throw in the towel. God tries to get the intention of the Israelites instead, and then simply waits till the people recognize that God and let, love the, let the love of God has for them to be mutual, a mutual relationship of love between the Israelites and God. And this is where we get a glimpse into God's character. In Exodus chapter 34, verses six through 7, God tells Moses the character of God, and this is the first time God reveals himself to the Israelites. It says this. And the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in faithfulness and truth, who keeps faithfulness for thousands, who forgives wrongdoing, violation of his law and sin, yet He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, inf- inflicting the punishment of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren into the third and fourth generations. And this is where we start getting the better understanding of the motions we see from God, as seen in Hosea. Yes, there are consequences, and yes. God has frustrated, but yet before all of those things, God says he has mercy, compassion. God is a God that's slow to anger, and a faithful God, and a God who forgives. We serve a God that desires being in a relationship with people, a God that wants people to love God back and enter to, into this mutual relationship together. There's often this tension in Christianity where people just live in this fear of God afraid of what might happen to them if they sin, and then results to them believing they must act, they must dress, and they must speak in ways that are so contrary to what we call of the world that we completely separate the church and the rest of everybody else that's living with us. This then results in a type of Christianity where our whole beliefs are set squarely in things that we can and cannot do, which I think completely misses the point of being a Christian. There's good putting in boundaries on what we... We should and shouldn't do. But that should not be our whole basis in what our belief system is. Those boundaries, we might look different also for every person. They're not going to look the same for all of us. We can't force what we believe onto everybody else because everybody's boundaries to help them out in this mutual relationship with God is going to look different. Yes, having a relationship with God is what we're after. Now we're going go to go the other side of this fear. Some people feel that they have so unworthy of God's love that they live just in this fear of God, and then never go into this mutual relationship because they feel that they just are not worthy and they don't deserve it. Yes, it's okay to have a fear of God. That is a healthy thing. Understanding that God is so much bigger and greater than what we can do ever by ourselves. But that's not where it starts. I think God's really first belief is that he wants us to fall in love into this mutual relationship with God. It's, sin starts to seem a lot less scary when we go into this relationship and more of just something that we know is relevant. But our desire is so in tune with God that these things that can trip us up and affect our relationship with God no longer have a desire in us because we are so in love with God. We don't need our basis of being a Christian to be a bunch of moral codes. We simply just need to start falling in love with God and who God is. And that's where our mindset starts to become first whatever God wants for us. We will mess up sometimes. Yeah, we will. But God has mercy on us before it all. This is where God starts to look at his people and say, Hey, you over there, what you're doing is hurting our relationship. God's going to try to get your intention, But yet, because you are hurting me, God wants us to come back into this relationship because he has mercy over all things else. Sometimes if God didn't get our intention, it would almost be less loving. It wouldn't be loving at all, in fact. For God, if he never laid out to the Israelites that there's no knowledge of God, how are they ever going to figure out who God is, Right? That God has to get their attention to understand the frustration, the hurt that they're causing God in this relationship together because God wants to bring them back into this relationship and let them know, hey, I am still here. There's no knowledge of me here, God says. And yet, because of mercy God has on the people, even after them breaking God's heart, God still wants to have a relationship with people and beckons them to come back. And this is the God we serve, a God of mercy. I think back to my story about the brownies. Everything within that little girl wanted those brownies to be the best brownies ever. And yet, those brownies let her down quite a bit, I think, that day. But yet, she still took pride in them. They may not have ended up as good tasting as she hoped, but yet she looks at everybody else around us and she says, these are my brownies, and I made them. I think God often gets let down by people. But yet, God chooses mercy above everything else and takes pride in humanity, his creation. God still looks at people and says, They're mine. These are my people that I created. And with everything in me, I still chose to choose to show abounding love to them. And I will show them my mercy above rejection and punishment. Because after all, these are my children. This doesn't mean we get a free pass to live, however. And we desire then to ask for forgiveness and bam, we're good to go at the very end. no. This does give us the opportunity, however, to know that what that is expected, that we will make a mistake. And sometimes, even though we make mistakes, God still says, it's okay. Let's keep journeying together. And can you do learn and grow together in ways that honor our relationship together? Because what? God shows mercy above all else. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. As they're coming back up, there's going to be another half that I want us to look at. As we're ending today, God just, just doesn't end with knowing about God's character. No, there's another part of this equation. God, there's a part to us that we have to put on ourselves as God's children. Yes, it's good to know that God has mercy, but yet we're called to step into that mercy as well in our lives. There's a call for us to shape our lives after our God. And no, we're not always going to get it right, but it's the attitude and character that we are called to strive after, into in our own lives today, to grow into the mercy in ourselves. This means above all else, we are called to show mercy. When we are at our jobs and our boss seems like they just have no heart, we show mercy. When that person cuts us off in the road, there's mercy. When our kid or pet or whatever it may be just seems like they never listen, there's mercy first. Yes, sometimes we have to get others' attention. Yeah, there's going to be frustration sometimes. But before all else, before we ever get their attention, there's what? There's mercy. This is the characteristic that we have to continually work on and improve upon ourselves. The only way it happens, though, is by growing into a relationship with our Father. Because God understands it best. He shows it to us. Just like a father or a kid goes after his father's, uh, whatever the father does, the kid wants to do, we have to learn about God, our Father, and get to know what he does in order to shape our lives into this mercy-above-all-else mindset. This is what our call is today as the church, to step into this characteristic that above all else, we are to show mercy and love. I'd like to end today reading Psalm 130, and it reads, Out of the depths I've cried to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the sound of my pleadings. If you, Lord, were to keep an account of guilty deeds, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and I wait for his word. My soul waits in the Lord and hope for the Lord. More than the watchman for the morning. Yes, more than the watchman for the morning. Israel, wait for the Lord. For the Lord, there is mercy. And with him is abundant redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his guilty deeds. So for the people of Israel, despite lacking in knowledge, God showed mercy. There's still a hope because God loves them so much. There is mercy above all else. To so the people today that feel like they have broken the heart of God the most, there's mercy. This is the God we serve and the God that we are called to strive after today to fall into this relationship together with. This mercy above all else mindset. So the-